Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome back to the Bible Centered Podcast. Uh, I want to thank each and every one of you uh, for uh, your support, uh, your kindness, uh, the kind reviews. It has been a privilege sharing the Word of God with you. And all across the world, uh, the feedback that we have gotten. Uh, I just want to honor each and every one of you. It's just a privilege to be a part of your lives. And uh, I had to travel this week. There were people that told me that they listen uh, on their way to work and they've listened multiple times. And I, I want to thank you for opening your hearts to receive the word of God. And it's just a privilege to be a part uh, of your journey with the Lord. I want to open up our Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1. And I want to explore something that it, it, it's incredible. The Word of God is incredible. And I am so touched by God's Word. And I, I want to explore something that isn't often explored, but it's profound. We're going to highlight uh, today, the sovereignty of God in the life of Moses. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. And there was a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And we see later that the daughter of Pharaoh comes down and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. This is a profound concept because we see Moses, his beginnings at three months old, being laid among the reeds. This story, God is so strategic on how he highlights Moses' life, so masterful, the, the penmanship of God, because chronologically, Moses' ministry started at 80 years old. You're never too old to be used by God. But in the spirit, I see Moses' ministry starting right here at three months old, right here laid in the reeds. You're never too young to be used by God. And th this is important. This is an important concept because a, a lot of times people try to disqualify, you know, young people from trying to be used by God. This is what they did to David. They said, David, you can't fight Goliath. You're, you're but a youth. But Goliath is a man of war from his youth. God forbid that we are equipping people to do things for the world 
at a younger age than we're equipping people to do things for God. They disqualified David to do something for God, but they celebrated Goliath doing something for the world. And the world starts young. The world starts young. And, and Christians, we, we try to start later. We say, hey, you're not ready to do anything for God till you're in your late 20s, your 30s. But it's, it's very interesting because whenever I played basketball growing up, at nine years old, I was traveling the country at nine years old for basketball. Um, how many Christians feel like their nine-year-old is ready to do something for God? See, we wait till later, but the world starts young. As a matter of fact, I worked at Childhood Development Services for a year and a half. And they taught us at orientation, they taught us and they said that the United States, the economists, to determine where the United States is going to be in 20 years, the first thing they do is they go and study and research and sit in pre-K classes. They watch three to five-year-olds and watch how they interact with one another to determine where the United States economy is going to be in 20 years. So you see, if, if the world sees potential in our kids, we have to start seeing potential in our kids. But I, I see the ministry of Moses right here in these reads. And you can say, how, Brother Jackson, how? What, what is the biblical insight that you have here? You see, Moses' mother did not place him in the river. A lot of people like to think that, that Moses' mom put him in an ark and put him in the river. That's not what the Bible says. This is why we got to stay Bible-centered. It says that she placed him among the reeds. People think that Moses was just like floating in the river, like, whoa, bro, this is cool. No, the Bible says she placed him in the reeds. Now, that is interesting because we got to have insight. This is where you do a cultural background and cultural backdrop of the text. It's interesting because the reeds were where crocodiles nested. So she released her baby in a dangerous place. But she understood that her miracle and her deliverance would happen from a dangerous place. She understood either God's going to get him or a crocodile's going to get him, but I got to release this thing. Oh, that's powerful to me. That she understood to go to the next level for the salvation of her baby, she knew she needed to take a risk. And right in those reeds, that's where the crocodiles nested. Remember, um, Pharaoh, they were throwing the children into the Nile River. And Moses' mom places him in a dangerous spot. She understood that if I hold him so long, he cannot be hit anymore. I've got to take a risk. And she knew in taking a risk, that's where her miracle would happen. Mm. Who am I talking to on here that's been afraid to take a risk? Who am I talking to on here that's been afraid to take a step of faith? Why? Because of the fear of failure. Why? Because of the fear of success. If you keep on fearing success, your body will never do the habits and alignment for success. You see, the, the brain is wired to avoid danger. 
And so if you are afraid to fall of pride once you get successful, your body will follow the mind's fear and refuse to do the habits of success to reach that successful point. Why? Because it's afraid of it. It's like saying success is falling off a cliff. Well, what the body will do is says, well, I'm not going near that cliff. So a fear of failure prevents people from taking a risk. It prevents people from taking a step of faith. She knew her miracle would only happen in a dangerous place. She said, either God's going to get him or a crocodile's going to get him, but I got to release this thing. I've got to release this gift. Here it is, because the longer I'm holding on to this gift, the more susceptible the gift is to being destroyed. My goodness, who am I talking to on here that likes to hide in the background? And you use these humble words, oh, I, I just stay in the shadows. I just stay, I just stay, oh, little old me, little old me. You say that because you're afraid to release the gift, because when you release the gift, it makes you a target for the enemy. You don't want to be a target, so you rather hide. But the problem is now you're feeling depressed and now, now you're feeling anxious because you have to release what God has given you. She had to release it. She had no choice. She said, either God's going to get him or the crocodile's going to get him. But I got to get rid of this thing. And she places him among the reeds. And this is powerful because it's where crocodiles nested. And you would see this theme later in the life of Moses. Because you see, he overcomes this this the threat of crocodiles. He survived the threat of crocodiles. When you research and study this, you see the nuances and the miracles that God was working in Moses' life from the very beginning. Because this theme of crocodiles resonates throughout the book of Exodus. And I want you guys to consider this because that there's so much revelation in the scriptures. God is masterful. This theme of crocodiles is, is resonant, resident in the scriptures. The book of Exodus is a book where God is judging the false gods of Egypt and showing that he has authority and power over all the false gods of Egypt of the day. See, they worship the sun god Ra. What did God do with the 10 plagues? He darkened the sun. That was God showing, I have power over the sun. What, what did he do? He, the, the, they worshiped the frog god. What did God do? He brought frogs out of the ground. They worshiped the fertility god, Hajat, the frog god. And God showed that he had authority over their frog gods. See, everything that they worshiped, God showed that he had authority of it over it. And throughout Exodus, it would say that he would judge they're false gods. This is powerful because we see Moses here surviving the threat of the crocodiles. And they worshiped the crocodile god, the crocodile god called Sobek. Mm, I'm going to help somebody here because I'm, I'm going somewhere. This is, this is going to be more of an informational episode, but hold on because we're going to bring this thing home. They worshiped the crocodile god. They were enamored with crocodiles. They were so enamored with crocodiles, they would mummify them. 
They would mummify these crocodiles and they would keep these crocodiles in Pharaoh's court. The magicians would bring the crocodiles into Pharaoh's court. And when they would bring them into Pharaoh's court, they would hide them in the back and they would bring them out for magic tricks. Are you listening? This is why God would tell Moses in the desert, throw your stick down. And when he threw the stick down, it became a serpent. The Hebrew word used there is nakash. This word nakash is present in Genesis chapter three when the snake was in the garden. Nakash, it means a serpent. It means a snake. But remember when Moses goes into Pharaoh's court and the Bible says he throws his stick down and it became a serpent. But it's interesting, that word serpent there is not used as the Hebrew word nakash, snake. It's used as the Hebrew word tenin, which means sea monster or in Hebrew, modern translation, crocodile. He released his staff became a crocodile in Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh's court, they brought out their crocodiles and the crocodiles fought and Moses' crocodile ate up their two crocodiles. Please go research this. Ooh, revelation is beautiful. See, what Moses was saying, what I survive, I now have authority over. I, have sur I survived it, so now I have dominion over it. I survived the depression. Now I have dominion over it. Now I can see someone in a church service that's struggling with depression, lay my hands on them and pray over them with authority in the name of Jesus. And the depression leaves. Why? Because I went through the season and I overcame it. And what I overcame, now I have dominion over. I beat Goliath, but I, it's not enough for me to just beat Goliath. I got Goliath's sword, and I'm going to cut off Goliath's head with the sword that he had. That's what God does. He gives us victory and, and dominion so we can help others. Moses survives the crocodile in the reeds while all of his brothers are getting killed by the crocodiles in the Nile. He survives the threat of crocodiles and later he enters into Pharaoh court and he throws down the staff and it becomes a crocodile and it was God showing, hey, I am the Lord over your crocodile God. And when I want to summon it, I can. I have dominion over it. It's, it's a powerful thing, tenen. It's not Nakash, it's Tenen. I want you to read that later in, in Exodus 7. It's Tenen. It's a crocodile that's released in the Pharaoh's court. It's not a snake. Research it. But the power of these reeds is that now we see an insight in the threat of what God is doing in Moses' life from the beginning. I see, I see his ministry in these reeds because she places him in a dangerous place. That's number one. But number two, not only does she place him in a dangerous place with the reeds, Moses would spend his whole life around these reeds. His whole ministry would be defined by these reeds. You see, because with these reeds, what they would do is they would go to the Nile break open these reeds, take out the inner bark from the reed, lay it down flat, spread it out, and start writing on it. And they called those reeds papyrus. That's where you get the word paper. Anytime anyone wanted paper, 
everyone in the world went to the Nile River to grab from these reeds. It was the most prominent place in the world to get paper. The Greek philosophers, anytime they wanted to write those beautiful thoughts, they had to go to the Nile River and, and break off some reeds to make papyrus. Anytime the Romans with their law, and they wanted to write, they had to go down to the reeds of the Nile and break it off and make papyrus. As a matter of fact, the word for these reeds, it's two Greek words for these reeds. One of them, number one, is papyrus. The second word is biblos. Biblos, that's where you get the word Bible. The word Bible just means the books, the books that are made of papyrus. This is profound because the earliest writings came from those reeds that Moses were in at that time. And Moses would be the author that would write the first five books of the Bible inspired by the Holy Ghost, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the, the Genesis, the Exodus, uh, the Leviticus, the Numbers, the Deuteronomy, all of those books were made from these reeds. Moses would be writing later on in his life and he would say, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hero Israel, the Lord our God. Hold on, go back to my experience. Go back to the Nile and go get me another writing. Go back to what I've been through and go get me another writing. That lets me know in every wound comes a writing. In every pain comes a writing. Anything that you have gone through has not been wasted. There's a writing coming out of it. There's a new chapter coming out of it. There's fresh inspiration coming out of it. That is the powerful miracle of the reeds is that Moses was laid strategically in those reeds. God knew he would spend his whole life sending people to make trips to get those reeds from the Nile. Very possible Moses' ark was laid up against the reeds that he would later write on. He had to keep going back to the Nile to get writings. It was the most prominent place in the world to get papyrus, paper, biblos. He would spend his whole life writing on those reeds. The sovereignty of God is beautiful because with what he'd been through, the place that he felt abandoned as a child, the place that he felt rejected as a child, the place that he felt most fearful, listen, God was using to create another writing. I'm preaching to you right now that nothing, that nothing that you have been through has been wasted. There's a writing coming out of this. No, I don't care how bad it's been in your life. Somehow, God's going to get the glory out of this. It brings me back to whenever I was abused and beaten for the first 11 years of my life. The abuse was so bad for the first five years, I could not speak a word of English intelligibly. I, I babbled as a baby at five years old. 
because of the trauma that I endured. And the abuse was so bad that I, 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 I stuttered. I, I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak any words intelligibly. My mom had to send me to a speech therapist for a year to teach me how to talk in kindergarten for a year. And my mom and my sisters, they, they have a Louisiana accent. If you notice, I don't have a Louisiana accent. I'm supposed to. But, but you see, what was happening was the principles that I was getting in the storm with my speech, it helped me pronunciate and teach me how to pronunciate words, not only for English, but now for Spanish. You see, I went through a wound, but there's a writing that's come out of it. See, God was able to use whatever the devil meant for evil to turn it around for good. And I, my speech was trained, the devil not knowing that I would become a minister. But you see, God didn't create my pain, but he used my pain to teach me how to preach. You're not hearing me right now. Nothing you've been through shall be wasted. And while I'm babbling as a baby, while I'm babbling like a baby at five years old, God's saying there's a writing coming out of this. I'm going to train him to speak well because he's going to preach my gospel to the nations. He doesn't see it now. He doesn't understand it now. But nothing he has been through shall be wasted. I'm talking to somebody. There's a writing coming out of this. There's a new chapter coming out of this. And Moses had to send them back to when he was abandoned and rejected and felt alone. Go back to that place with what I've been through and come back and bring me another writing. That's the miracle of the reeds. That nothing that you have been through has been wasted. And Moses would spend his whole life around these reeds. God is so sovereign with, with Moses that you see his sovereignty in his life because think about it. The Israelites cry out for a deliverer. Look at God's sense of humor. The daughter of Pharaoh comes and gets him from these reeds. Now he's raised in Pharaoh's house. Here it is. The children of Israel, they're looking for deliverance. Listen, and God answers their prayer by raising their deliverer in the enemy's house. And God used the enemy to teach Moses how to conquer nations. Oh my goodness. Nothing you have been through shall be wasted. God has a sense of humor. He is sovereign. God says, I'm going to answer your prayer by raising your deliverer in the enemy's house. And the enemy is going to teach him how to conquer land, how to conquer territory. Why? Because I am preparing him to go into the promised land and conquer nations. But I'm going to allow the enemy to teach him how to warfare. I'm going to have the enemy teach him military strategy. I'm going to allow the enemy to teach him how to possess kingdoms and conquer nations. And while Moses is thinking that he waits, Wasted 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's house, God says, I'm using it to prepare him to be what I've called him to be. He answered their prayer by raising a baby in the enemy's house. And God used the adversity to teach him how to conquer. This is what God does. God uses your enemy. God uses your circumstances to bring out the best you. 
to bring out who you're called to be, who you're destined to be. He did it with David. Remember, God told Samuel to go to Jesse's house because God said, I found a man after my own heart. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's house and he doesn't find a man. He finds a boy. But there was a man in the boy. But God had to raise up a giant to get the man out of the boy. Your giant is working for you because it's bringing something out of you that you didn't even know was there. You see, David thought he would be a shepherd, but his giants showed him that there's a king in there somewhere. You, you thought you were a shepherd, but your adversity is teaching you that there's royalty in you. That, that the adversity is training you for what you are destined to be. And it's amazing because after he kills the giant, they begin to sing a song. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Hold on one second. David only killed one person, Goliath. But they are beginning to sing, he slayed ten thousands. If you only knew how many victories your giant was connected to. He killed one giant and got thousands of victories. If you only knew what this adversity, this circumstance, when you defeat it, how many thousands of victories you're going to get? Why would they say that? Well, the custom was, if you didn't want a bloody war, you brought out the best men from both camps. And whoever won got victory over the thousands of the armies, they would subject themselves. So there would be one representative on each side of the camp that would represent the whole nation. And when they fought, whoever won defeated the entire nation. That's why they sing, David has slain his thousands, his ten thousands. One victory, he defeated the whole host. Who am I talking to right now? You're, in, you're up against something and you feel the resistance so heavy. I'm telling you that when you defeated through the help of God, you're going to get thousands of victories that your family is going to reap from for the rest of their lives. Adversity is a teacher. And God used Pharaoh, who was killing all of these babies, to teach Moses how to conquer land. Adversity is a teacher. I see, I see God's power in these reeds. I see that his ministry in these reeds because God uses these, these reeds. God strategically, just as God strategically placed them in Pharaoh's house, God strategically placed them in these reeds to display his sovereignty. See, the crocodile couldn't get them because the hand of God was on them. Pharaoh couldn't kill them. Pharaoh's watching him being, the deliverer's being raised right under Pharaoh's nose. And, and no matter how many babies Pharaoh killed, he couldn't kill this baby. Hmm. Adversity is a teacher. Why did Moses have to go through this? Why did Moses have to go through this with the reeds? Let me tell you why. Because later he would deliver 3 million people across the Red Sea. They would walk through the Red Sea. Now, you look at the word Red Sea in Hebrew is literally translated the sea of reeds. Go look it up. The Red Sea that's translated to English, Red Sea, in Hebrew, it's the sea of reeds. See, Moses had to go through his own reed experience 
so he can identify with others in their read experience. Who am I talking to right now? You didn't go through it just for you. You didn't cry just for you. You didn't weep just for you. You didn't battle just for you. This is bigger than you think. You're battling so your kids never have to fight that battle. You're battling so your family never have to fight that battle. You're battling so your church, your community never have to fight that battle. You're getting victory in your own personal read experience to help others in their read experience. Because Moses said, I can relate to you because I felt alone before. I can relate to you because at three months old, I didn't know what I was going to do. I went through my read experience to help 3 million people through their read experience. And now with the abuse that Victor Jackson, I suffered as a child, I'm able now to preach deliverance to the captives. Any person that's been abused, any person that's been hurt, any person, I'm here to be a visual example that there is hope, that there is life, that God can mend you back together. If he can mend a babbling five-year-old like Victor Jackson, then I'm here to show you that he can mend your broken pieces together. If he can help Victor Jackson overcome the PTSD, if he can help Victor Jackson overcome the chipped tooth and being punched in the face and being kicked in the ribs uh, with cracked ribs, if Victor Jackson can overcome an abusive household for 11 years of his life, I've come to tell you that God can meet you in your need and your time. How do you know it, Brother Jackson? Well, I went through a read experience uh, and I didn't go through it for myself. I went through it to help millions of people survive and overcome and come out of their own read experience. I know what it feels like to be weary. I know what it feels like to be tired. I know what it feels like to cry and feel insignificant. I know what it feels like to battle suicidal thoughts, but I survived my read experience to help a world that's going through their own read experience. It's not just for you. It's for the world. He went through his read experience to help them through the sea of reeds. And the Bible says later in the New Testament that when they walked through the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds, the Bible says that they were baptized unto Moses. That's powerful. They, what they're saying is that there was a spiritual connection that began to happen between him and his people when he walked with them through that sea of reeds. See, there's a spiritual connection that happens like what's happening right now on this podcast, when I've been through it, then I come talk to you and ask, have you been through it? And you say yes. And all of a sudden there's a spiritual connection that begins to happen. And Paul would later write to the church in Corinth. He said, he said, I don't need to send you an epistle of recommendation. He said, you are my epistle. He said, not written with ink, but written with the spirit of the living God my word. He said, he said, when I begin to speak to you, you, you are my, my read, my epistle that when I spoke all of a sudden, the pen of heaven began to come down in your spirit and begin to write. And where you tried to write rejected, I erased it and began to write redeemed. 
And you felt something because Paul said, I felt forsaken. I, I was Saul of Tarsus. I, I felt guilty. I felt condemned because I was killing the Christians. But, but through one, I, I was putting the Christians to death. I was, I was counseling to put them into prison. But the grace of God that shone on me on the road to Damascus, I'm telling you that that grace of God is available to you. And when he began to preach that, all of a sudden there was beginning to be a spiritual connection between the preacher and the people. And they say, and he said, you are my epistle. Not written with ink, but written with the spirit of the living God. My word, my word, my word, my word. There's something about a writing coming out of the wounds. It's not over for you. He said, go back to my experience. Go get me another writing. It's the miracle of the reeds. And you see with these nuggets in the word of God, you get a clear picture of what God is able to do and what he's able to accomplish and his sovereignty. He's so sovereign. He's, he, if God had that much control over Moses' life, how much control does he have over your life? And, and no matter what you, what you have gone through, it, it, it won't be wasted. Some people listening right now, the, your, your greatest fear is wasted years. You wasted time in workplaces and, and then you've made investments and you feel like it's wasted. But I'm telling you, God has been training you and all things work together for the good to them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. That's one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible, Romans 8, 28, because it says all things work together for the good. And we try to say all things work together for our good. That's not what the Bible says. It says for the good. Now, here's my question. Whose definition of good is this? Because you and I have different definitions of what the word good means based on our background, based on our culture, based on what we came from. You and I have different definitions. Who, whose definition of good is this? For example, if I'm raised... If I, if I was raised homeless, if I was homeless my whole life and you come and bless me with a small shed, I'm going to look at this shed and I'm going to say, man, God's good. But if I was raised in a mansion my whole life and I lose everything and you come and bless me with that same shed, I'm going to say, man, this is a curse. You see, you and I have different definitions of what the word good means based on our background and based on where we came from. So this can't be man's definition of good. This has to be God's definition of good. The, the Greek word for good here is agathos, which literally means intrinsically good, meaning it's what happens on the inside that makes the trial good. So the success of a trial is not the outcome, but it's what you become in the trial that makes it successful. So even if I lose everything, it doesn't matter because God used it to make me more like him. I'm becoming something in my frustration. I'm becoming something in my disappointment. I'm becoming something in my trial. And even if he doesn't turn my circumstances around, at least he's turning me around. And if he's not changing my circumstances, at least he's changing me. Because now I got a tender heart when I'm in his presence. Now 
Now there's been changes that have happened and no, is the situation still bad? Yes, it's still bad, but, but there's something changing in me. I am partaking of his divine nature. Something is happening to me in this read experience. I'm becoming an epistle. God's writing something on me and where I write loss, he writes loved. And when you try to throw you away and say unworthy, he writes worthy. That's what the Holy Ghost is. He said, I will send my spirit, here it is, to write my law upon your hearts. My word. That look at all that's been written on your heart in your childhood. Look at all that's been written on your heart in your life. God says, when I pour out my spirit upon your life, I am washing that heart and I am putting my law on that heart. And whatever you tried to write problem, I replaced it with promise. You are my epistle. That's the miracle of the reeds. That's where I see God's power. That's where I see God's glory. In this read experience, I'm talking to somebody in the read experience. You feel abandoned like Moses did in that ark. You feel, you feel hopeless like Moses did. You feel danger. You feel threatened. That was a traumatic moment in his life. But in order to produce a new writing, he had to go back to an old read. My word. He said, go back to my experience. Go back to what I came out of. I have a testimony. Isn't that amazing that it says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony? That, that, that's incredible because, because the blood is enough. By the blood, we win. By the blood, we win. But he says, but no, you overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. In other words, I don't want you to just win. I just, I want you to start talking and tell the devil he wasn't even close. This is what it means when he said, I want you, he said through him that we are more than conquerors. How do you become more than a winner? See, the conquer something is to win. But he says, you're more than conquerors. What, what it means is, he says, you didn't, you didn't just beat the devil. You beat him so bad that you sent a message. It's like, it's like playing a basketball game. And, and you didn't beat the devil two to zero. No, you beat, you beat him a hundred million to one, meaning it wasn't close. That's why God says, yes, yes, you overcome by my blood, but I don't want you to just be a conqueror. I want you to be more than a conqueror. Start talking, start testifying. See, the devil tried to destroy me with addiction, but look at this. Now, guess what? I overcame it and I didn't just overcome it, but now I started addicted ministry where now it, addicts come into the church and I begin to minister to them about the power of God and they've been getting delivered and they've been getting baptized and their life is being changed. See, I didn't just win. Now I'm sending a message. He wasn't even close. The enemy tried to destroy me with suicidal thoughts and, and depression, but now I overcame it. I didn't just overcome it, but now I'm going to start testifying and helping other people in their depression. And now I started a ministry that ministered to those that are hurting and depressed, and now they're getting delivered. I didn't just conquer. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a winner. I'm more. How did you become that? Well, I went through a read experience. You went through it, not just for you. Stop questioning God. God, why, 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 why? 
Like you feel discouraged. I'm telling you, you went through it to help others. Jesus couldn't change the world. You got to hear this, guys. You got to hear this. He could not change the world from heaven. The Bible says that he came in the volume of a book. Mm. He had to become a book to save us. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He had to take on flesh. The word had to take on flesh. The pages had to take on a cover. The pages had to take on a hardcover copy. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came in the volume of a book. He couldn't change us just from heaven. He had to become flesh to save us. And the writer said it this way, that we have not a high priest that is not able to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. See, our high priest, Jesus Christ, was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What he felt for 33 and a half years on earth, he felt what you felt. He felt the depression you felt. He felt what you felt. He felt the aloneness that you felt so much. He said, Eli, 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 lama sabatana. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He felt forsaken because he would symbolize with you when you feel forsaken. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And his read experience is what's to deliver us in our read experience. And he died and overcame death. So when you die, you don't stay in the ground, but there is a heavenly home for you that was purchased by a read experience. My, 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 my. He went through it for you. The book was torn on the cross for you because you would have your moments where you would be torn. You would have your moments where you felt betrayed as Judas betrayed him, but he overcame it to give us strength so we can overcome our own read experience. I'm talking to somebody on here. Nothing that you have been through has been wasted. God's going to use it to bring glory. And you're going to have dominion over the thing that tried to destroy you. You're going to come out of it with dominion. You're going to come out of it with dominion. And God's going to use it to serve his purpose. You see, the Bible says when they came out of Egypt through the Sea of Reeds, through the Red Sea, the Bible says that they spoiled the Egyptians. They brought a whole bunch of utensils and a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of stuff out of Egypt. And you know what they used it for? They used it for the service of the tabernacle. You see, spoils are coming out of this read experience. And it's going to be used for the purpose of God. Those utensils in Egypt became the utensils that were used in the tabernacle. And it became sanctified unto the Lord. You see, they didn't spend all their lives questioning why, why, was, why were we in Egypt for 430 years? You know what they just did? They used what they got from Egypt for the service of the Lord. 
I'm telling you, God can use it. God didn't create your pain. God didn't put you through that. The enemy did. Life did. But I'm telling you, God can use it for his glory. That's the miracle of the reeds. That's the miracle of the reeds. That's the miracle of the reeds. They laid him among the reeds because he would spend his whole life riding on reeds. His purpose, his destiny. God would use it for his glory. God would place him alongside the Nile where the whole world would come for centuries. That was the main place to get papyrus. Oh, my Lord. God is able to work and bring a writing out of a wound. Hmm. I feel like that's settling in on somebody. You feel like you you wasted time. You feel like it was all for nothing. You, you feel like uh, oh, there's a hole in your life. I'm telling you, out of every wound comes a writing. And, and I'm telling you, if you went through it, the chapter's, your chapter's not over. What you need to do is stop trying to end your story and put the pen back into the hand of God because he's not done writing. You tried to hide the pen and put it in your pocket, but that's why we lift up our hands in prayer. That's why we lift up our hands in worship because you're giving the pen back to God. God, keep writing because you're not done with me. There's a story coming out of this. The greatest masterpieces that are written, there's always some trial and tragedy in it. A story without trial and tragedy, it's meaningless. Why would I want to read about that? I can't symbolize with it. Every story, think about the great stories. There's always the climax. There's always the moment of an antagonist. No story is complete without an antagonist. No story is, is complete without an enemy. No story is complete without opposition. No story is complete without it. It's a masterpiece. I'm telling you, there's a masterpiece coming out of this wound. And God's going to have you look at it for fresh inspiration. This is the stuff, this is the stuff they make books out of. This is the stuff that they make entertainment, entertainment and movies out of. Some of y'all have even said that, man, my life is like a movie. <laughs> but I'm telling you that there is a writing coming out of this. Hold on. Hold on. You're going to see the faithfulness of God. And even though for the first five years, I couldn't speak a word of English intelligibly because of the trial, because of the trauma, because of the abuse, because of being locked in closets. I was locked in closets, guys. They would lock me in closets. And when they would lock me in the closet, you know what they would do? They would put uh, a game system into the closet while they went out to eat or they went out and watched something as a family. I'd be locked in closets. It's punishment. But somewhere, God saw a little boy crying in the closet. I said, man, there's a writing coming out of this. Because there's a, a lot of other kids that have been locked in closets. There's a lot of other people that are going through storms and abuse and pain and hurt and trauma. And there's going to be a writing that comes out of it that helps my people that are walking through a sea of reeds. God's not done. 
God's got a plan for you. Don't put, don't, 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 don't close the book. He's still writing. And there's a masterpiece that's going to come out of it. Oh, I hear the Holy Ghost talking to somebody right now. I feel his presence. I feel his presence talking to someone. Something's coming out of it. That's why you, you thought the reeds you were placed there by happenstance. But God said, you know what? I'm going to get glory out of this. Everything that the enemy's trying to destroy, I'm going to use to deliver. I'm going to use to deliver. Wherever you are after you're done with this podcast, I want you to find a place to pray because God's telling you that your story is not over. And I believe in you. And more importantly, God believes in you. I feel the hand of God coming on you right now where you are. I feel the love of God wrapping you in his arms right now. There's a miracle in these reeds. It's not over. There's a writing coming out of it. It's going to bless. It's going to bless the world. Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And we are effective ministers in his kingdom when we are touched with the infirmities of others. When I can get up into the pulpit and weep and cry because of the tough week I had. Somebody in that audience, they had a tough week as well. All of a sudden, the pen of heaven comes out and it begins to write upon another epistle. And I overcame my read experience so they can overcome their read experience. It's not just for you. It's for them. Your kids will never have to cry like you cried. Your son, your daughter never have to cry like you cried. Whatever you have been through, the next generation doesn't have to go through you're going to help them walk through it. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.